0: My guest today is Carolyn Lopez, transformational coach, best-selling author, speaker, actor, and founder of Coach Carol LLC. She's a master of accomplishing all she sets out to achieve. Her passion is helping clients develop a better understanding of themselves and live their dreams. Carol truly values her clients and loves seeing people gain confidence to pursue their own missions in life. In her Amazon best-selling book, Muck Off, and yes, you heard it right, M-U-C-K Off, the starting point to your happily ever after. She breaks down how your past and negative labels don't define you or your future. Carol, welcome. Good afternoon, this is Mark Madison. Welcome to On Books and People. Today, I'm super excited to have my my good friend, Carol Lopez as a guest. Carol, how are you this afternoon?
1: I'm excellent, thank you so much for having me.
0: Ah, my pleasure. So I'm trying to remember where we met.
1: We met through Patrick Snow.
0: That's right. It was like at a book conference, right? Yes. Maybe three, four years ago?
1: Uh, a couple years ago, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. And since then, you've been busy.
1: I try to stay busy, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you wrote a book, but I'll get to that in a, in a minute. Uh, where did you grow up?
1: So I grew up on the south side of Chicago in a little town called Markham. And wow. it was considered, you know, the south side. It was back in the day, day when neighborhoods were segregated right. and we had the whites on one side of the highway and the blacks on the other side.
0: Right. Reminds me of that uh, song, Bad, Bad Leroy Brown. Oh, right yeah. On the south side of Chicago, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you, you, so you grew up in Chicago or did you leave there shortly thereafter?
1: Well, I joined the military when I was 19. So from there, I took off and went to boot camp and ended up getting stationed in San Diego.
0: Were you in the Marines?
1: I was in the Navy.
0: In the Navy. And what did you do in the Navy?
1: So I was what they call a yeoman. And of course, there's the jokes out there. Yo, man, (laughs) that's exactly
0: what I just thought. Yeah,
1: (laughs) get me this. Get me that. So I call it kind of like a glorified secretary. We took care of the officers, made sure all the paperwork was accurate.
0: And you got to travel quite a bit?
1: Uh, Not not too much. Surprisingly, now, this is interesting I spent 20 years in, some of it was active duty, you know, six years plus give or take some. And then the rest of my time was in the reserves, but I've never been stationed on a ship. And so, you know, the best place I've gone was Hawaii. And then the rest of it was pretty much local to the US, Mm
0: -hmm. DC,
1: Virginia, um, but never overseas. And never had to go to Afghanistan, nothing like that.
0: Hmm. You didn't see any action. I did not. But thank you for your service. That's a long time.
1: Yeah, I, I I did have the privilege and honor of putting people into the reserves. I was a Naval Reserve recruiter for a couple of years. And, um, you know, that was that was a whole lot of fun.
0: You're a natural salesperson. I can see that.
1: influential
0: yeah right (laughs) so you know you you ask a lot you've always asked a lot of questions you're always really curious um who are your mentors both in the in the military and then outside growing up
1: oh boy well i was a hot mess and (laughs) i didn't really have many mentors growing up um but i did really enjoy watching television and so i really got a kick out of watching carol burnett that was a fantastic variety show and you know who doesn't want to wear a bob mackie dress and go dance on stage and make people laugh right and uh so you know uh then later on in life when i finally got my act together uh no pun intended there,
0: right.
1: um, <laughs> you were one of my mentors.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: and I've had several coaches also. So yeah.
0: I love that Carol Burnett show. I, I just, I've read a couple of biographies on her life. I, I just finished one recently and she was amazing and she was a big, big star, uh, but she, you know, she worked she worked really hard from a really early age to kind of work her way up into show business. She has a fascinating life. And that was a huge hit. It was shows on for like 10 years. Oh, one yeah. of the best, one of the best sketch comedy programs. And the millennials don't even know who, you know, who Carol Burnett is, but she was, she was a genius and she had really great uh, supporting characters around her.
1: Absolutely. Tim Conway. I loved him.
0: I, you know, I would just, I remember watching with my dad and just laughing uproariously and And seeing my dad laugh too, is just kind of fun. So uh, you wrote a book with a really interesting title. Would you like to tell us about it?
1: Well, sure. Now don't get offended. Okay. Okay. The title is Muck Off.
0: Spelled M-U-C-K.
1: Correct.
0: Got it. Like there's a bunch of muck all over me. What the heck?
1: Right. And you know what? Sometimes you got to tell some people to muck off. Right. (laughs) And get out of your life.
0: Right. So why did you write it? And then tell us a little bit about it.
1: Well, uh, I, I had trauma that occurred when I was a teenager and it was like immediately when that event happened, I knew I was going to write a book Hmm. and going through life and making what i i feel like i've made every mistake there is to make in life and i thought well if i could save somebody else the pain that i went through then that's what this book is really all about is helping people to steer clear of the muck so that they can have a happily ever after life
0: so, I'm of the opinion that the world's divided into two categories, anchors and speedboats. You're either pulling me forward or you're, uh, pulling me forward, or you're dragging me down. And what you're talking about is being able to identify who the anchors are and then staying away from them.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you know, when I was uh you know, I mentioned that I grew up in a neighborhood that was segregated and um going to high school, I fell in love with a boy who was biracial. And my dad in particular was so prejudiced and against that, Mm. that he, he just lost it one day. I didn't even know that he owned a gun and he tried to kill me. Uh, He put the gun to my head and pulled the trigger, but the trigger jammed. And so, you know, I'm still here. I live to tell the story and, um, you know, it's, it, it goes back to realizing that I had abandonment issues all along and I never even knew that. And it wasn't till later in life when I had a lot more muck under my belt, being in a terrible first marriage with domestic violence and a psychologist told me that I had been abandoned. Mm. And I always thought, well, how could that be? Because, you know, I grew up in a parochial school and I always had all of my physical needs met. I had a roof over my head, food and clothes, but it were, it was the emotional abandonment
0: right. that
1: really created all of this pain. And, you know, you can see how it plays out in your life later on in hindsight,
0: Uh, I, I, I ask three questions when I do consulting, when we talk about morale and productivity in an organization. Number one, is it safe? Is this a safe environment? Number two, do I belong? Is there a sense of belonging here? And number three, do I have a future? But those three questions also apply to personal relationships as well. And it sounded like first and foremost, you did not grow up in a safe environment.
1: Right. Yeah, it was, it wasn't like there was a knockdown drag out fight or physical violence, but my dad drink did work very hard in a a laborious job as a tuck pointer or bricklayer, Mason, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he'd go out to the bar every night and drink with his buddies. And when I was in third grade, it was such a turning point for me because my mom started working outside of the home. And he was my caregiver in the evenings, but he would come from home from the bar and he'd pass out on the couch.
0: So you were the caregiver.
1: So I became the caregiver, yes.
0: It's called role reversal. Yes. Hmm.
1: But you know, I never considered myself as a victim or a survivor. I was at the dermatologist not too long ago and she said, you're a survivor because I had some melanoma removed years ago. And I got to thinking about that. I was like, hmm, well, that's interesting. You know, I never thought of myself as a survivor of all the stuff that I've been through. It's like, well, this is just me and I just keep on going.
0: Right. It's not what happens, it's how we respond. Right. Interesting.
1: Yeah, I read the the book, The Power of Ted. And that really helped me to identify when people were in these different roles um, because you can either be stuck in that victim role and lots of people live by labels that society puts on them and they stay stuck there. Right. Or people become bitter and they become the persecutor and they want to blame everybody else for all their problems. But what I've realized is that you can become more in the creator role, not that you're taking on the persona of God or anything, but you're taking on ownership for your life and you can make the choices and the decisions to have a better life,
0: right? Yeah. There's an old expression, hurt people, hurt people, right? And a lot of times victims become the abuser. And what you did was you broke that chain. Yes. So so who should read the book? Who's your, who's your core audience?
1: I think anybody who has gone through any type of trauma or adversity, um, anyone who's ever felt ostracized or abandoned, they could get a lot out of the book. I have coaching questions after each of the chapters since I have become a life coach. And, um, I think it's a really good read for, for any young person, especially like I wrote the book to prevent the pain. So I feel like it's important that the younger generation gets it in their hands as soon as they're mature enough to read some of the things that I've been through.
0: Mm -hmm. So you are a survivor.
1: Nowadays, it seems like that age keeps decreasing because our kids are being exposed to so much, so much sooner.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, my father was an alcoholic and I was around for uh, his bottom. I got to see the the effects, the true effect of somebody hitting bottom, including uh, one night when I was 12 years old, it was snowing and I was playing on the corner with my friends, throwing snowballs and doing the stuff that 12-year-olds do. And my father pulled up and the window rolled down and he was a stern guy and he was a big guy with a big booming voice. People were afraid of him. He was just, he never smiled back then, right? I and mean, he was, wasn't a happy guy and because he was an alcoholic. And he rolled down the window and said, go home, your mother needs you in a slurred voice. And I realized right then something was wrong. So I ran home and my mom was picking up. Uh, the remnants of a plate of spaghetti he'd thrown against the wall and she was crying. And, and I remember that being kind of, def, of a, a defining moment for me. I remember thinking, I'll never be like that. And no matter what, I'll never, I'll never be like that. And then shortly thereafter, my mother did something really interesting. She, he came home one night and there was some masking cape down the middle of the living room. And he says, what's this? And she said, well, this is the only asset we have and since you won't quit drinking, uh, I'm selling the house and divorcing you. Which half would you like? <laughs> and that was it. That was the thing that woke my dad up. He quit drinking. He never had another drink again the rest of his life, and he became a very different guy. Wow! And I got to watch that transformation.
1: Well, that's that's great that you're able to see that transformation because a lot of people don't do that. Yeah. They end up getting the divorce
0: right yeah most my parents were married for 60 years and uh yeah it was uh it was interesting being the youngest you know I got to see some things that my siblings didn't get to see and 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 quite frankly when it came time for me to because ironically I became an alcoholic just like my father and when I was 22 I I met a woman who said I love you but you know you drink too much and could you slow down I said no I could stop and the impetus for me stopping was my father had done that. So I remember thinking, if he can do it, I can do it. But it takes a, a tremendous amount of courage to break that chain. You know, to go go a different direction, take a different path. Yes. Did you find that writing the book was healing for you, cath- cathartic?
1: I did. Uh, this is, it, it was very healing to write it, yes. Um, but I kind of... It's interesting because I recently just did a body of work on myself internally, and I wrote the book in 2018, and I thought that, well, um, you know, that was healing, that was great, and I thought I was good, good to go, but then um, I realized that I had more work to do, and so I picked up an abandonment recovery workbook by Susan Anderson and I feel like that was life changing.
0: Mm. There's a book by Alice Miller called The Gifted Child and it talks about how as adults, we take the the challenges and the abuse and and the negative aspects of our childhood and we idealize it and what she means by that the metaphor she used was it's as though you take some glaring uh, issue whether that's you know physical abuse or mental or emotional whatever it is, whatever the issue is and you you dig a big hole and you drop it in the hole and then you cover it up and then you paint lacquer over the hole and then you put a smiling face on the on the lacquer and so when anybody ever talks about that you just point to the smiley face yes and I remember thinking oh my gosh you know Uh, that's exactly what I did my and my mom did it too she idealized the you know the pain and the and the the fear because you know my father was always threatening to leave and he was always leaving so those kinds of issues were were kind of central to my core as a youngster Um, the good news is we don't have to stay there right
1: right yes and I have one of your books and I looked at what you signed in it to me and it was the freedom from fear Uh and you said, Carol, face your fears and the death of fear is certain Mm. and writing the book, once it was finished, it was like, things got really real. And I had so much fear around releasing this book. Because I was so afraid that my family was going to abandon me again, that they were going to disown me. Mm -hmm. And so I faced my fear. I picked up the phone. I had the conversation with my brother and it was all a big fat lie that I was telling myself in my head. Right. And it wasn't true at all.
0: Yeah, in freedom from fear, I talk about fear as being uh, like fog, like a one mile, one square mile of fog. But what's fascinating is if you take that one square mile of fog and you distill it down to its liquid form, it's only a twelve ounce glass of water. But you know, when we're driving along, we hit a fog bank. The first thing we do is slow down, and then sometimes we just stop. And that's what fear does. It, It, like fog, it makes us stop. Yes. And it, it, but once we, once we acknowledge it for what it is, just a 12-ounce glass of water, it's like, oh, well, what was I all worked up about?
1: Right. The no, thing I took,
0: come to, go ahead.
1: It took me years to write the book, like five years, way too long, way too long. That fog was so thick. I was paralyzed in it
0: yeah it's easy to do and then when you face that fear the death of fear is certain that's really true william james the father of american psychology said uh, act as if and the feelings will follow is the bird happy because he sings or does he sing because he's happy and the answer is yes you know take the action and the feelings follow (laughs) i remember my first dance i don't know if you yeah and i can tell you this from a male perspective right so in the time that I grew up, going to my first dance, the boys always asked the girls to dance. That was just what was done. So I'm leaning against the wall with a buddy of mine, this big football player, his name was Bryant, And he looked across the room and he said, oh, I'd dance with her. And he pointed to this girl, Jill, who had just moved from, from Florida. And she was five foot nothing, 95 pounds, blonde hair, blue eyes, smart, beautiful. And I said, well, go ask her. And this guy was like six like 240. He goes, I'm not going over there. I said, What why not? He goes, Oh no, not me. And what was he afraid of?
1: For her to say no.
0: Yeah, the rejection. That's the obvious answer, but not the true one. What he was really afraid of was the long walk back. (laughs) All of us going, ah. (laughs) And once I realized that at the tender age of 15 or 16, I said, I'm going to ask girl number one, if she says no, I'm going to ask girl number two. If she says no, I'm going to ask girl number three. If all 11 girls say no, I'm going out the side door and getting drunk. But fortunately for me, girl number four said I'd love to dance. Right? Yeah. And that was a defining moment in my life. First and foremost, I had a plan. I wasn't going back. Right. right? Secondly, I was just going to keep asking until they all said no, and then I was going to leave. But the good news was I only had three rejections and then I got a yes.
1: Yeah, never give up.
0: That's not a bad batting average. If you're a professional baseball player, that's 250. You make a nice living at 250. Yeah. (laughs) But it was a great lesson for me. It said, don't be afraid that the fear is just false evidence appearing real.
1: Yep. I love that.
0: I know. It's such a simple idea. So how does someone get your book?
1: So they can go on Amazon, anywhere online, Barnes and Noble, it's out there.
0: And so, so it's just so we're clear, it's M-U-C-K, next word, O-F-F. Correct. Like Carol Lopez. Yes. Got it. What else would you want my audience to know about to you be- or about the book?
1: Well, um, I recently got really inspired by a book that I, I actually read both books by Tim Grover. One of them is called Relentless and the other one is called Winning.
0: And Tim Grover. the same Tim Grover that you worked out with Michael Jordan?
1: Yes. He He was his
0: mentor, trainer?
1: Yes, yes, yes. And Kobe Bryant and, um, you know, it's, really getting that mindset of a pro athlete, you work through the pain and you keep going.
0: It's persistence. Yes. And consistency.
1: Yep.
0: I remember reading an article in the New York Times about him when he helped Michael transform his body. I think after they lost to um, Detroit it was uh, They had something called the Jordan rules, and, and the Jordan rules were simple. If Michael came down the key, you just beat the crap out of him. You knocked him to the ground, and it and and ended up working. Detroit beat him you know, a couple of years in a row. And, it, and Grover was the one that pulled him aside and said, you're going to have to be a lot stronger. The, you, know, right. this is, you, you just can't get by on being you know, jumping out of the gym and having a great shot. You need to be physical. You need to change your body. And so to Michael's credit, he did. And, and in a year's time, he completely transformed his physique. And it gave them the strength to be able to push through those things.
1: Right. And they did things that other people weren't doing. Right. Like, you know, working out the arms and working out the different body parts, the ankles, you know, those little small details. Right. And I had a great experience recently at this local gym And I had a trainer that was working with me and I was like, oh gosh, I'm feeling it. You know, anytime I had a pain, I would be sure to let him know because I didn't want to get injured and he would stop and he'd say, okay, well, let's, let's warm up that rotary cuff. Let's, let's stretch this ankle. And it made such a huge difference. And to have somebody to take the time to do that, it was such an amazing feeling. And you know, you're know you an athlete, did you experience that too?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you're talking to a guy who, who ended up losing 50 pounds and 10 inches off his waist in his you know, mid to late 50s. And after I lost the weight, I started playing basketball again. But one of the things I had to do is I took a hard look at the guys who got injured and the guys who didn't. And one of the key things was stretching. You know, I don't remember Ichiro, the baseball player for the Mariners, right? The Japanese player. He he stretched before, during, and after every single game, and he played for over twenty years. Um, Kareem abdul Debar did the same thing. He played to forty-six years old, which in the NBA is ridiculously old. Yeah. But he attributed yoga, and jump roping, and stretching to his longevity.
1: Well, that's what they had me do too. In between each set, I was stretching.
0: Yes it's huge it's everything yeah it it used to be yoga was something you did in a room that was 120 degrees and people were sweating like farm animals and you know (laughs) you you meditated and you um you know it's not like that at all it's just stretching and breathing
1: well people are living in fear now you know with the whole COVID stuff going on
0: right yeah it's um interesting times in which we live so last question uh what advice would you what parting advice would you have uh for somebody who wants to put fear aside and move forward with their life
1: to have the conversation if there's a conversation that needs to be had to face it and to start taking baby steps if you need to towards that and you're going to see that once you get to the other side, it's the burden is lifted. The fear is gone. And you have a choice. I mean, you know, what, what's the fear costing you Mm. to not face it?
0: Right. So get in the shallow end of the pool and start swimming. Yes. Carol, thank you so much for making the time today to talk.
1: All right. Thank you so much for having me. That was a lot of fun.
0: Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day you have other plans.